Welcome to Reimagine Diversity and Equity, a podcast by the U.S. Institute of Peace. Joining me today is Kahinde Togan, the Managing Director for Public Engagement at Humanity United. For our first question, I would be curious to hear, how do the values of justice, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility come into play in your work? Sure, I think that's a really good question. I think for us at HU, uh, one of the ways that we think about this is who's doing the work and who's uh, how are we uh, centering those people within that work. So I think oftentimes, at least traditionally speaking, uh, peace building has often looked like Western entities going into uh, places where uh, none of us necessarily are from uh, and seeking to uh, help them reduce conflict. I think we've, what we've realized is that what actually the way to do this properly is to make sure that those who are uh, whose conflict are being addressed are the ones who are driving the work, right? And the ones who are uh, marshalling action, right? So that looks like us being in the back seat uh, and being collaborators rather than us being in the driver's seat. So I think uh, for us, JDI looks like who's, uh, yeah, like I said, who's driving the, the work and also uh, how the face is looking different. So if you think of it from the U.S. perspective, uh, it's trying to make sure that we have uh, more seats at the table and more people at those in those seats who don't look like traditional actors. Uh, but it's also making sure that we don't uh, forget that we ourselves are and we're funders, uh, we're not implementers. Uh, and it's making sure that those who we are funding to implement the work are, are really representing the communities that we're seeking to uh, help uh, solve problems. So could you tell us about one challenge to embedding JDI values that you've encountered in your current position? Sure, I think one example uh, that we think about often, particularly from a communications and a policy perspective, uh, is this thing I just talked about of whose work, who's being centered, and how do we do it? So if we think of a a traditional communications role, right, like the goal is to help make sure that the foundation or the organization uh, gets attention and gets media attention. Um, And so for us, though, I think JDI and doing this work in properly looks like making sure that we help other people uh, to be in the driver's seat, right? So like that looks like when we are having meetings with government officials, it's not just Kehinde going into rooms saying this is what people should do or what government officials should do. It's actually making sure that the people who uh, who are in who have been either trafficked or who are survivors of human trafficking or survivors of conflict are the ones actually telling uh, government officials what to do. Uh, when we have interviews, it's making sure that it's not necessarily uh, my team or my colleagues that are centered. Uh, it's making sure that the pe- other people are the ones who are there, right? Uh, and there, there's op- obviously there are times when we have to collaborate and be in the same rooms with um, and use our voice because we do have a voice as Western institutions to push our own government. Uh, but there are ways and I think it's trying to be smart about when and how we do that and being very thoughtful so that we don't uh, inadvertently cause more damage or at the very least uh, create the system of harm that we're trying to actually prevent. I would just be curious as you're talking through some of these issues if you could share a bit about a creative approach or a few approaches that you've used to address the situation. I'd say two things. One is uh, there's a target and an audience, right? So I think on one hand, we want to make sure that the folks, when we're engaged in the U.S. government, the U.S. government will listen to government U.S. entities, right? So there's a time and place to fund U.S. entities. Uh, and so we want to do that. But then it's also being creative of like, how do we make sure that if we're doing work within the African Union, uh, that we're not sending Western actors or U.S. entities to say, to go influence the African Union. Uh, we're making sure that we actually are funding African organizations uh, and helping to sort create a community within them uh, that they can help do that better, right? Uh, Or if we're doing work on decolonization of aid, um, that we are actually 
funding organizations that are actively doing that. So I think that that's required a shift from for us, right, to make sure that we there's a role for everyone to play within decolonization or within localization of aid, right? Uh, and so it's making sure that we are uh, not changing, uh, not saying to Western entities, you don't belong here. Uh, it's saying there are ways that we can collaborate together. And so you talked about how you've really dedicated a lot of your career to this work of in different capacities, but bringing people to the table. So as we know, beyond your role at HU, you've done quite a bit of work to advance DEI within the international development sector. So could you just talk a bit about some of these efforts and why you've chosen to make this a priority? Um, so I think one of my formative experiences, I've talked a bit about this in other uh, settings, is uh, being at Georgetown and being in a in development in a development course or a development uh, master's program and 80 to 90 percent of the people in the course were white folks right uh and they've all become very good friends but they were white folks who were going to work on africa were going to work on latin america uh or any other uh, continent that it was uh, in the, that was that was a developing country context or a developing continent um and i as a nigerian person felt like we were often talking about nigeria from a very academic perspective um so for me, one of when I left grad school, the goal was always to figure out how do we get more people uh, who look like us to be in those in these spaces, right? So um, that's looked like teaching a course at Rutgers, which is my alma mater, uh, to help young people sort of see themselves in the develop in the development space, but also in diplomacy. So. Um, one of the courses I taught was foreign policy and practice, where every week we brought, I brought in a different speaker, uh, often from D.C., and they were predominantly uh, people of color uh, or women, um, mostly women of color, actually, for the 14 weeks. Uh, and my goal there was to help my students see that people that look like them also could be policymakers or also could be uh, diplomats. In your teaching capacity, did you see any differences between how JDIA and peacebuilding was discussed when you were a graduate student versus how students perceive these issues today? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of my students were asking more questions, right? And I think they were starting to realize, like, when I was in grad school, this was a thing that I was like, oh, this is a problem. But then I would talk to my students, of, friends of color about this. But I think today it's a much more open conversation where, like, these students are saying, why doesn't the space look more like us? And how do we begin to uh, have that happen? And actually pushing the faculty to say, why are there faculty, why are there very few faculty of color? Or why are there no, no development practitioners in this space? So, like, I think that that's... Uh, I, I, I often think that the next generation is actually, they're smarter, they're better, and they're going to do things much better than we are. But part of what we have to do is create the space and create this environment for them to actually thrive. You've already brought us some great perspectives today, but could you share a little more advice for institutional leaders or really anyone in a position to advocate for JDIA who wants to push beyond the status quo within their institution? Yeah, I think uh, one is, uh, again, being conscious of who's in the room and who has power and how do you begin to shed uh, your own power within that space, right? Uh, like there never should be a time where I, as the person from a foundation, I'm therefore the person speaking because of the role that I play. So like, I think being conscious of my, our role, my role, um, and how do I uh, evolve that uh, so that other folks can be in the space, uh, I think is one thing. Uh, I think, again, it's the thinking of the younger generations uh, that are gonna come after us and making sure that we're creating internships, that we're funding, creating funded internships uh, so that people can start to get those experiences um, is how we can begin to change the space. And I think the other is also just foster being mentors. Like I've benefited greatly from having folks who've taken interest in my career uh, and said, how do I help get to the next level? So like, I think many of us who are in positions of power could do a lot more to actually think through who are the rising leaders and how do we support them, uh, whether that's 
connecting them to the fellowships that we are already we've done previously or that we are currently in um and one of the things i do often is i get linkedin requests from younger people um and my answer is always yes i'm happy to spend 30 to 45 minutes helping you think through what might be next because i think that that's a service that i benefited from and that i think all others uh should be providing as well because that's that's how we create the next generation of people uh, who are again better than us just a final question as we're about to close out i would just be curious if you could delve a little bit more into that conversation of mentorship and what that could look like especially in terms of mentoring other young students of color and as you're talking with them about the trials as well as the um, beautiful parts of working in this uh, industry and in the peace building space uh, sure. I think part of it is saying yes, right? I think there's no shortage of people who want advice. Uh, and I, one of the things I've often said to people who I'm giving advice to is we all give advice in that follows the mold that we have. So like, this is the path that I took. So oftentimes I'm giving advice in that space, right? Uh, or within that uh, context. So like, I think it's the openness to say to other folks, like, yes, I am fallible, but I'm happy to give you guidance uh, and take it, take what you want from that. So like, I think that there's that openness. It's the desire to sort of hear people when they say, can you I have a question and actually saying, oh, they have a question and like listening to what that question is uh, and being able to help support them uh, and realizing that one question might be what they're asking today, but they might have others. Uh, so being open to check in with folks regularly and say, hey, we had a conversation three months ago. How how are things going? Right. So on the one hand, we're all busy people. We can expect the younger folks to do that and say, hey, can I come back to you? But also realizing that people know or think that we're busy and don't want to disturb us. So like being open to actually making those efforts uh, and being making that entree ourselves, right, for other folks, right? I think the other is being conscious of, again, when I'm in rooms uh, with people who are in positions of power, mentioning people who I think belong there, right? So like it's a conversation of around managing directors or around like other senior people and saying, oh, this person is actually, would actually be very good at this, so you should talk to them, right? And like I think one of the things uh, people have talked about are the ideas of champions versus mentors. Uh, and so being champions of people. So you don't necessarily have to invest all of your time into getting to know every single person person but there are a lot of smart people that we all engage uh, who work for us or work with us and being conscious of like oh maybe this opportunity could be right for this person uh, so maybe i should send it to them or maybe i should tell the person who's the hiring manager uh, that this person could be good for this um long-term observation mission or short-term observation mission whatever the case is right uh, in every different context there's a different scenario where people will benefit from something or sending a role to somebody and saying, hey, um, I know that you're interested in uh, foreign policy. That's the Council of Foreign Relations has this um, thing that they do every year. Are you interested in attending? Right. So I can think those are ways that were, are perhaps lower lift for us, uh, but might actually have ramifications and greater impa Im impact uh, on people. Uh, so I would say to my other folks who are in senior positions within international development, it's that we should keep our eyes open and we should realize even that even though we are busy, uh, what would make our lives easier in the long run is uh, expanding the plate of the, the table uh, and making sure that we create a pipeline uh, that helps us do this work better and more holistically in the future. Thank you to Kehinde Togan and to all of you for listening to our podcast, Reimagine Diversity and Equity. We hope you've enjoyed listening to some of the people who are working to promote justice, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in the peacebuilding field. If you've missed any episodes, we invite you to visit our website, usip.org.